Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you. If you have your Bibles open to Daniel 7 this morning, my name is Jason. Uh, I know that Andrew and Sarah have greeted you. Lindsay has. Uh, let me be another welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here uh, this morning at Two Rivers. Um, we're in a series in Daniel. We're going to be at Daniel 7. I'm going to start. A doc kind of um, stole my thunder a little bit, but I'm going to do some epic movie talking here at the beginning as well. Uh, do you guys remember 2019? Wasn't that a great year, 2019? That was a fantastic year. I mean, 2019, Avengers Endgame comes out. Anybody see Avengers Endgame? 2019. It's 22nd movie of this like story line. Um, you may know this, you may not know this, highest grossing movie ever made. Uh, surpassed a movie that had held that title for a few years. Anybody know what is number two now? What? Dark Knight? Nope. Anyone? What? Nope. Avatar. That weird movie about the blue people was the highest grossing movie of all time until I'm so happy that Endgame surpassed Avatar. That was a weird movie. Essentially, we think about Avengers Endgame, essentially, boil it all down. It's a movie about good versus evil. And we love these epic stories about good versus evil. How do I know that? Because it's the highest grossing movie that's ever been made. We love these type of epic stories. Good, My personal all-time favorite movie when you're anywhere and you're like, hey, what's your favorite movie? Uh, Gladiator. Gladiator's my all-time favorite movie. But I love like stories. Uh, uh, Wes mentioned this, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, epic story of good versus evil. I mean, Hunger Games, you guys. Any Hunger Games fans out there? Lindsay, anyone other than Lindsay Swain, my wife? Katniss Everdeen, I mean, she could shoot the bow and arrow, couldn't she? She was fantastic. Anyway, all that to say. You guys are, I thought that was funny. You guys didn't think that was that funny. Okay. We would be wise. Why am I talking about this? We would be wise. We would be um, wise to understand that we are not watching, as we think about our lives, this great story unfolding of good and evil, but we are actually in the story. We are a part of the story, the great epic story of good versus evil, the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, Jesus himself versus Satan. And as we get into Daniel chapter seven, we're, I think we are in week uh, five, maybe of Daniel seven. Um, there it went, hold on, there's, okay. Daniel seven, um, uh, the saints of God today, the saints of God versus the Antichrist. We're gonna be talking about uh, these kind of end times uh, things as we get into Daniel 7 today. Um, Daniel 7 makes a, a pretty significant shift in what we've been talking about over the last few weeks as we have been looking at this, this, the lives of Daniel and his three friends. Remember, we're, we're calling them Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. We're redeeming their Hebrew names, uh, also known as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel and his three friends, and their stories of when they were exiled from Jerusalem to uh, Babylonian Empire. But there's a shift today 
as we get into chapter 7 to 12. It's more apocalyptic literature from Daniel chapter 7 to the end of the book, which is chapter 12. Uh, Daniel had been interpreting these uh, dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, these uh, Babylonian kings. Um, As we get into the second half of the book, it's Daniel's own prophetic dreams and visions. Uh, It's apocalyptic literature. Think the book of Revelation, right? Apocalyptic literature. We're talking about things of the eschaton. Uh, Eschaton means the end or the end times, the end game, uh, if you will. And you will. I knew you would. I knew you would. Come on, you guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Did you know that there are more than 900 prophecies concerning the second advent of Jesus. Three times as many prophecies as we have in the scriptures of the first advent of Jesus. 900 prophecies around the second coming of Jesus. The study of the eschaton, apocalyptic literature is called eschatology. And um, when we read books like Revelation, when we read uh, chapters like Daniel 7 in the Uh, eight and on until the end of the book, Uh, symbolism and allegory in these uh, texts are are very high. And so our interpretation of these texts needs to be handled with a lot of humility. Um, We don't need to be overly um, sensationalistic, I believe, and that's my encouragement and exhortation as we come into these when we study these uh, end-time prophecies, I want to encourage us to uh, heed the um, advice of Peter. My clicker is going a little slow. Here we go. First Peter 4, 7. Apostle Peter, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and be sober-minded. So we certainly, this is part of our sacred scripture. This is certainly... Um, scripture that we want to engage in and we want to read and we want to study and we want to think about, we want to have conversations about these things, but we don't want to be overly sensationalistic about these things. We want to be sober-minded and self-controlled. We want to be careful that we're not using current events. There's lots of current events happening in the world today. And we want to be careful that we're not using the current events of the world to help us interpret scripture. Instead, we want to be people of the word of God. We want to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. And we want to read scripture and study scripture. And we want to grow to the place where we can uh, have an understanding of scripture so that scripture actually helps us interpret the current events of the world. People that love God, who are biblical scholars love God, worship Jesus, follow Jesus, profess the name of Jesus. Biblical scholars, they come down on all kinds of different places when it comes to eschatology, when it comes to the chronology of the events. Was well, this gonna happen and this, and this is gonna happen? And what about this? And they love God and they're biblical scholars and there's all kinds of interpretation on the things that we're going to be talking about. I wanna tell you as we get into Daniel 7 through 12, our purpose uh, is not to get caught up in all the timelines and all the details and all of the debates. Uh, But instead, I I want us to keep our eyes on what what everyone agrees on. And what everyone agrees on as we think about prophetic 
uh, scriptures about the second advent of Jesus, it is this, Jesus is coming back in a second advent and he will destroy the beast, which is the antichrist. He will redeem the saints and he will usher in the new heaven and the new earth, amen? So we're gonna be centered on that. But there are things for us to think about, certainly, but we're not gonna get caught up in all of those things. We're gonna keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we're gonna take one chapter at a time, and this will take us through the end of January. So as a church timeline, just by way of announcement, uh, we'll be here again next Sunday on December the 20th, and then we're gonna have a Christmas Eve service we communicated uh, sometimes this week in the email, we're actually, we've had to tweak those with Council Tree. Uh, apologize for the head fake on that. But in basketball, a good head fake is something that you want in your repertoire. Okay, so you really want a good a jab step and a head fake. So we gave you a little head fake. Sorry for that. Not sorry for that. Anyway, 4.30 and 6. So write those down. Remember that 4.30 and 6 are going to be our Christmas Eve service times. Here on the 27th of December, we'll actually take the Sunday uh, off. We won't have any services, and then we'll come back on January 3rd. So Daniel will take us through the end of January. Um, as we get into Daniel 7, chronology of the storyline, Daniel 7, he flashes back to 14 years prior. The events of Daniel 5 and 6, a scholar tells Daniel was in his uh, early 80s. Uh, but as we get into Daniel 7, he's going to flash back 14 years prior. This actually predates Daniel 5 and 6, uh, when Belshazzar was the king uh, in Daniel chapter 5. And he has this prophetic dream. It's his first apocalyptic vision of the future. We've seen him interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. We saw him interpret the dream of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, chapter 5. Now he has his own dream and vision. And as we get into it, you're gonna, we're going to read about these wild, crazy beasts. And instead of like reading it and having you wonder like, man, that is what I can't even picture that in my mind. I just pulled up a, a visual for us. And I just want to talk through this for a second before we get to chapter seven. Um, the visual on the left, that's the Daniel 2 uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. And uh, as we work down from head to toe of this, um, this person, those are the four uh, kind of pagan Gentile kingdoms that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar would all be coming to an end. And so the gold head was Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire. And then uh, the silver chest was uh, the Medo-Persian Empire that came from the east and, would, and then overtook uh, the Babylonian Empire. And as we get down into the legs, it's the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. And, and then uh, at the bottom, the, um, the stone and the, the the, the iron is the Roman Empire that was the, in place when Jesus uh, was on the earth. Uh, da uh, Daniel's dream is almost the same except for the Rome piece. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at Daniel 7 and it's gonna come down the line and he talks about this lion with eagle's wings, which represents the Babylonian Empire. It's present day uh, Iraq to the east of Israel. East of Israel is Iraq, uh, the ancient city of Babylon, um, scholars tell us is 50 miles south of Baghdad. And then um, after the lion comes the bear from the east, and that's a modern day Iran, and the bear represents the Medo-Persian empire. And then the leopard, the swiftness with which Alexander the Great overtook the Medo-Persian 
Empire. And we'll read that this leopard had uh, four heads. And so after Alexander the Great passed away, there were four, the kingdom was split into fours. And those are the leaders of those four kingdoms that came out of Alexander the Great. And it's interesting as we think about this beast We'll read about this in just a minute. That had these 10 horns. Horns are symbolic of, of power and authority and kingdoms. And out, out of that uh, beast comes this little horn that we'll read about. And um, almost um, all of the commentators that I read this week think that this 10th, uh, this, this Rome beast with 10 horns is futuristic even to us. It's not referring to the Roman Empire when Jesus was here. It's actually was future to Daniel then, but it's also future to us now. It's some type of revived, restored Roman Empire where there are 10 kingdoms all coming together as one. And then a little horn, which represents the Antichrist, comes up out of that kingdom, which we'll read about in just a minute. So I thought that would be helpful to uh, get a visual of that before we read the scriptures. I'm gonna uh, read this in pieces. We'll talk about it, and then we'll read the next section as we work through Daniel chapter seven. And so let's start with reading verses one to eight. This is part one of the vision. Again, 14 years prior to Daniel in the lion den from chapter six, he's thinking back to his first apocalyptic vision. And he says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylonia, of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. And he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven turning up the great See, um, think peoples, great sea, peoples, nations, the earth, churning up the great sea. Four beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. There's the Babylonian empire. And it had the wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear and it was raised up on one of its sides. It came from the east of Babylon, modern day Iran, and it had already overthrown three other kingdoms before it overtook um, Belshazzar in the Babylonian kingdom. And it had three ribs, which is representative of that in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And then after that, I looked and there before me was another beast. This is, Alexander the Great in the Greek empire, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird and the beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth and it crushed and devoured its victims, trampled, underfoot, whatever was left. It was different from all the former beast and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little horn, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So it comes up out of really nowhere. It overthrows three of the 10 right away. Three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. 
part one of the vision. Again, horns are, are weapons. Think um, symbols of power and kingdom. And so we think about this fourth kingdom. The ten horns are these, are these future uh, ten kingdoms of this restored, revived, some type of Roman empire that is still future to even us today. And uh, we... We believe, I, I wouldn't put myself in a, as a biblical scholar, but as I read all these commentaries, uh, the belief is this, that this 10 kingdom prophecy remains future uh, because a 10 liter form of the Roman empire in Jesus's day never existed. Uh, so this is some type of future, a prophetic future of, uh, of a reestablished Roman empire. And so speaking of this prophetic future, then Daniel sees this 11th horn and he calls it, um, a little horn, none other than the Antichrist himself. Verse eight, the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Revelation thirteen two, speaking of the Antichrist, says that the Antichrist will have a lion's mouth. Connection between Romans chapter 13 and Daniel chapter seven. Apparently, the oratorical skills of the Antichrist will be uh, awe-inspiring and globally persuasive. And his words will be boastful. His words will be blasphemous against the goodness and the grace and the authority of God himself. We'll keep reading the vision part two, verses nine to 14. Daniel goes on, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat and his clothing was as white as snow and half of his head was white like wool and his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze and the river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him and thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. Verse 13, and in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass Away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So good. God's names uh, in the Bible, there are um, quite a few actually, as we read through uh, the text. Um, Yahweh, um, the name of God, God is eternally uh, self uh, existing, uh, also referred to as the Lord. uh, or Jehovah, we, we see God referred to as Elohim uh, in the Bible. God is all powerful. Uh, Elohim, uh, sometimes it's shortened to El. You may have heard of the phrase El Shaddai. Anybody, any Amy Grant fans? El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El, whatever she says after that. 
comes next, right? Uh, it means God Almighty, El Shaddai. Um, uh, Adonai, the Jewish people, they, they had such a reverence of the holiness of God. They wouldn't even utter the name Yahweh. They would say Adonai, God, God is Lord. He is sovereign. Here in Daniel 7, we see God referred to as the ancient of days. God himself referred to as the ancient of days. It's found three times in scripture, all three in Daniel chapter seven in our text today. And the ancient of days refers to God the Father. And we see God the Father sitting on his throne. And then the Son of Man, this messianic title of Jesus, we see uh, the phrase Son of Man in Daniel. We also see uh, Jesus himself refers to himself as the Son of Man in the Gospel of Matthew. And though the Son of Man comes on the clouds into the presence of the ancient of days on this flaming throne, uh, symbolic of God's holy, righteous judgment. Uh, his white, the father, his white hair and title ancient symbolic that God is self-existent in time. And 10,000, 10,000 serving God uh, and the divine judgment is the holy angels. And then, and then it says uh, 10,000s times 10,000 are likely those being judged in God's divine court. Most likely what Daniel gets a vision of here is known as uh, the great white throne of judgment. Uh, if you wanna write this down and read it later, go read Revelation chapter 20. I wanna do a sidebar for just a minute uh, so that we're clear on the difference between the great white throne of judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Because it's really important for believers to understand uh, the difference. Most likely what Daniel sees here are millions of people, unbelievers at the great white throne of judgment being judged by the holiness and the righteousness of God. Uh, unbelievers will face Jesus at the great white throne judgment after they will be cast, Revelation 20 says, into the lake of fire. Believers, believers will not be at the great white throne of judgment. Because believers in Christ, your salvation is already secure in Jesus. Any amens, amens out there for that? You will not be there. I will not be there. We will not be there. Unbelievers will face the holiness of God at the great white throne of judgment. We, we will enjoy, we will enjoy the judgment seat of Christ where believers will receive reward as we come into the glory of eternity. Um, you can write down Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 13 for that. I just wanted to sidebar that so that you're clear on that. Um, we could spend a whole sermon, an hour sermon, talking about those two things, but I wanted to sidebar that. Uh, the booyah in this passage for me, you know, when you like hear something really good, you're like, booyah. The booyah for me in this passage is verses 11 and 12. And what we see there is the four beasts represented the four Gentile kingdoms that come against God. They're all destroyed. And the Antichrist will be destroyed at Christ's second coming. Jesus, the son of man, given global dominion by the ancient of days, representing the father, comes as the ancient of days in verse four, 14. The son of man is given everlasting dominion that will not pass away. This, this is... This is Daniel's dream. This is the vision, uh, the end times, the eschaton. 
The end times are difficult. The, the Antichrist will wreak havoc in the world. There will be tribulation. There will be suffering. There will be death. And these realities, they brought alarm and anxiety to Daniel. Daniel was the one who was interpreting the dreams in chapters 2 and 7. And his own apocalyptic dream brought much alarm and anxiety to him. So what does God do? He sends Gabriel. He sends Gabriel the angel to help Daniel understand. Now, chapter 7 doesn't reference Gabriel, but but we believe it's Gabriel in chapter 7 because Gabriel is mentioned in chapter 8 in Daniel and in chapter 9. By the way, this is the same Gabriel that would come to Mary in the first advent, Luke chapter 1, and announced to Mary that she would be the mother of the Messiah. And so God sends Gabriel to interpret the dream. So the next verses, as we get into uh, verses 15 to 25, this interaction now is Gabriel and Daniel having dialogue about what in the world did I just see in this vision? Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And I approached one who... I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and the most terrifying. With its iron teeth and its bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched this horn, speaking of the Antichrist, This horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the ancient of days came. Right next to that verse, write down Revelation 19. Go read that later. I'll just tell you for now, Jesus is riding on a white horse. He has fire coming out of his eyes and he is tatted up with King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thighs. If you don't believe me, Revelation chapter 19. That's, that's what is happening right here. That's what this is, what's going on. The Ancient of Days came and he pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Hallelujah. And he gave this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth and it will be different than all the other kingdoms and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns are the 10 kings who come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones and he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the most high. He will oppress his saints and he will try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. What in the world is going on here, right? Let me explain a little bit of this. Uh, You'll have more questions probably than I'll give you answers for, but let me give you some 
uh, answer to some of this. Um, the tribulation, when we read Daniel 7 to 12, the book of Revelation, the tribulation uh, time frame is a seven-year period of time when God will finish his discipline of Israel and he will finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world. What Daniel's vision of is of this seven-year tribulation period. In the tribulation, as Daniel 7 says, the horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. Again, some type of revived a 10 kingdom Roman-like empire being led by this antichrist who comes up out of nowhere with his genius oratorical skills. And he is trampling, crushing, oppressing, killing. These are serious, serious times of suffering. Specifically, when it talks about time, times, and half a time, you've got a seven-year tribulation period the first three and a half years of that changes. And the second half, those, that, that's what Daniel is talking about. A time is one year, times is two years, half a time, three and a half years. So what Daniel is speaking about here in verse 25 is the second half of the seven-year tribulation period, which people refer to as the great tribulation because it's going to be so intense. Are you with me, Ryan? Does this make sense? As we're following the storyline, this period is especially intense for the saints, the great tribulation. By the way, we're gonna talk a lot more about this in Daniel chapter nine, Daniel's prayer. Uh, we'll unpack this a little bit more. But let me just recap. We've got this little horn that rises up out of this future 10 kingdom um, empire. It's the Antichrist who rises to power in the seven year tribulation. He emerges from insignificance to absolute control dominance with his oratorical genius. He will devour the whole earth, crushing it. His military rule global. He is blasphemous against Christ Jesus and he oppresses the saints. Now, questions, questions. Any questions in the room? If I show of hands, let's just talk. Let's just have, no, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do Q&A. We're not gonna do Q&A. But questions, right, come up when we read these kinds of passages. Here are some questions. When Daniel is talking about saints in Daniel chapter seven, is he referring to the Jewish people or is he referring to uh, the new covenant church, people that call on the name of Jesus? Another question that might come up. Will there be a rapture of the church before the tribulation? Three and a half years into the tribulation before the great tribulation or at the end of the seven year tribulation? Is there even a rapture? Because by the way, rapture is not a word that's in the Bible. So there's all these questions that come up. And again, people that love God, people that worship God, people that follow God who are biblical scholars, they answer these questions in all kinds of different ways. Again, um, pastors, theologians, all of them. Uh, you, you could spend a year, a full year reading all the commentary about all these things. Again, our purpose isn't to get caught up in all of these debates about the timelines, uh, but to know that Jesus is coming back, to know and believe and find comfort and hope and peace and strength is there will be a second advent. And how I want to encourage you in that is to zone in with me on verse 21. If you have your Bible, um, 
open it. Let's read this again. If you have, if you're, if you're a note taker or a highlighter, this is the verse. Underline it, highlight it, believe it, proclaim it. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them. Verse, what's, what's the next word? If you're reading along, what's the next word? Defeating them until, until, until what? Until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. This this is the reality that I want us to get centered in. Until the ancient of days came, when the ancient of days comes, he will pronounce judgment in favor of the saints. Jesus representing the Father comes as the ancient of days. This is the second advent. And what happens? Favor and possession and and a, a, a receiving of the everlasting kingdom following Jesus whose kingdom, whose dominion will never, ever end, meaning that your hope and your peace and your security is sealed, signed, and delivered, church. It means that you have nothing to fear. Are there gonna be hard days? Is there gonna be suffering? Yes, but you have nothing to fear because of the promise that Jesus is coming again. And then we get to the end of the story. This is the end of the matter in chapter seven, verses 26 to 28. But the court will sit, God, the divine judge, the ancient of days, the court will sit and his power, his power, speaking of the Antichrist, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. And the sovereignty and the power and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints and the people of the Most High. And the kingdom of Jesus will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. For this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Verse seven, eighteen. Or chapter seven, verse 18, again, the saints of the most high will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Here's a key point. Key point of biblical prophecy, right? Um, is, not, is not to stir up anxiety in you or fear in you. It's actually to do just the opposite for you. One of the purposes of biblical prophecy is to bring comfort to God's People, God's sovereignty, his authority comforts our fears. Amen? And the love of Jesus not only comforts our fear, but casts it out. Perfect love casts out all fear. So we get the comfort to our fear and we get to believe that fear can be totally cast out. This is our faith, church. This is what we believe in Jesus. I think about the apostle John. He wrote the book of Revelation to give the church at that time strong hope that would help them endure suffering. What kind of suffering were they enduring? Intense suffering. Here's what Revelation 2.10 says. Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of of life. This type of teaching, this type of 
engaging together is to bring comfort and hope and security to us. Apocalyptic literature, uh, like Revelation, like Daniel, promises that our sovereign God will intervene and he will overcome all evil. Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. And the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and we will possess it forever. Can anyone say hallelujah to that? Do you know what the word hallelujah means? It's kind of one of those things in church sometimes we're like, amen, amen. What does amen mean? Amen means yes, I agree. You know what hallelujah means? It means praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. When you go home and you read Revelation 19 later, and I hope that you will, the word hallelujah is used in heaven where a great multitude has gathered before the throne in the immediate presence of the ancient of days. It is the wedding supper of the lamb. The enemies of God has been overthrown and the gospel of Jesus Christ has triumphed. And in this victory celebration of the wedding supper of the lamb, all heaven renders praise, this song of thanksgiving uttered by all of the holy saints. The reasons for the glorious outpouring of praise are because of God's righteous victory over his enemies, his sovereignty, and his eternal communion with us. We will be in the presence of God. And the sound of the outpouring of praise and worship is so overwhelming, it's so loud, and it's so overwhelming that the Apostle John in Revelation 19 can only describe it this way. It is like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder. And so great is the rejoicing by God's people that the wedding feast of the Lamb that hallelujah is the only thing that we will be able to say, church. The only, we'll be so encaptured by the glory of Jesus, we'll be so thankful. The only thing that we will all say in chorus is hallelujah. The Lord, oh God, Lord God Almighty reigns. And it will be so loud, it will sound like rushing waters and peals of thunder. Handel's version right? Handel's version of the great chorus in heaven, as glorious and as wonderful as that music is, it is a feeble foreshadowing of the magnificence that will be expressed by you and me and us and the church of Jesus. And the only thing that we will say in gratitude and worship is hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, thank you. give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see beyond the natural to the supernatural. We want to come to certainly texts like this with humility. But Lord, I pray that the saints of God today have been encouraged and built up with anticipation and faith to believe 
and to know that Jesus is the Lord and that we, we will possess the kingdom of God forever. We worship you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, the only name on heaven and on earth, the only name we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.